Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is Walmart transportation with my friend, Doug Estrada. Doug, how's it going? I'm very good. Thank you, Joe. Thank you for having me here today. Oh, thank you for being on my podcast. We always talk about Walmart, but it's always kind of with an outsider's perspective, what we think we know about Walmart. Well, you actually work at Walmart. So you're going to tell us the real deal. So Doug, I I just introduced your company, Walmart, but please introduce yourself and your company, what you do over there and where you're located. Sure. Thank you. So Doug Estrada, Walmart, as you said, I work in the Walmart supply chain. Specifically, I work for the Walmart private fleet. And so my official title is I'm the Senior Director 2 of Transportation. I have oversight over a region, region part of the country where I have uh, roughly 17 transportation sites at our distribution centers or standalone or at a uh, we have the only manufacturing plant that walmart has a, a milk plant in ohio that i have oversight over yeah can you believe that and i have roughly 2,000 walmart private fleet drivers another 500 600 third-party dedicated drivers that work specifically within those distribution centers and have responsibility from a outbound and inbound perspective from our distribution centers to the stores or first mile, middle mile, omni-channel work standpoint on the e-commerce side of the business. And I have all of it from a human resource, HR, safety, maintenance, all that to to focus on. So that's what I do for Walmart. And by the way, if you're listening, guys, we're going to talk about hiring. I know Doug is hot and bothered to hire, hire more folks there because Walmart's not going to be happy till we're all working there. (laughs) So anyway, Doug, before we get into the day's topic, which is Walmart transportation, tell us a little bit about you. Where'd you grow up? Where'd you go to school? Give us some career highlights before you join the the, uh, magnificent Walmart. Yeah, so I'm down here in Arkansas right now, but I'm a native Nebraskan. And I grew up in Nebraska. Go Big Red. Go Big Red. That's exactly right. So... You know, so that's about the only show in town back in Nebraska. So I went to school at a small uh, university in Nebraska, Doan University, where I majored in labor relations. And then right away after college, went on to work. Wait, you said you played football there, right? Yeah, I played a little bit of football there. It's kind of a religion over there. Yeah, if if you're not if you're not playing football, then then you're out in the field farming. So that's about one of the two options. Oh, did you did you do any of that? Yeah, you know, Balen Hayes may be a little bit too much for me, so that's why I had to go the football route. It wasn't as hard as work as it was throwing bales. <laughs> By the way, I got to tell you, one of my daughters moved from the Detroit area to Portland, and so both of my daughters were driving, and they were, uh, drove out there, and they stopped, and they were talking about all the places they stopped along the way, and they stopped in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they loved it. And it's funny because even they're even though they're from a flyover state, Michigan, they're like, oh, my God, Lincoln, Nebraska is like the coolest place. And I was like, why are you acting so surprised that we have cool places? It doesn't have to be on the coast to be cool. And they're like, I could live there. I was like, of course you could live there. Like acting as if. And it's funny because they're from a state like Michigan that everyone goes, oh, really? Can't you live in New York or L.A.? Like, <laughs> Yeah. You know, I'll tell you, Joe, the one thing people kind of laugh about when you tell them you're from Nebraska you know, we have something like 1.8 million people that live there, right? And there's 5 million head of cattle and hogs that live there. So that tells you where the bulk of the population is, right? Yeah, my daughter said, the other thing, she goes, after you drive through Nebraska, you kind of feel like, I shouldn't eat meat. <laughs> there's, there's a lot of cows out there. There's a lot of cows. Anyway, so you went to school, you studied labor relations. Where was your first gig? So my first job was actually in Chicago, where I was working for, at the time, Roadway Express. Okay. Uh, All right. One of the Blue Bloods. uh, One of the Blue Bloods. So started with Roadway Express, spent uh, about three months with them. And then uh, I was working at a brake bolt down in Chicago Heights. And the terminal manager there went over to a new company that had opened up a new brake bolt, which was Carolina Freight. 
And he took a handful of us with us. Please please explain what brake bulk is for those. Yeah, so in the LTL industry, it's an LTL carrier. It's a hub and spoke type of environment. So this was one of the hubs and it delivered into locally to all the, you know, probably a five state area around Chicago. And then anything that we picked up, we would send it to one of the other hubs that would deliver to the same spokes in those other areas. So that's where we, I was so at. This is, so th- this is basically unloading a truck and routing it to its next... Okay. Essentially, right. Essentially, that's what it was doing. So it was breaking my uh, my back into the and in getting it onto the dock. So I was working uh, as a dock supervisor on the brake bulks up there. Right. So after roadway, you went where? Was the Carolina Freight, which was another uh, national LTL carrier, and I was with uh, uh, Carolina until ABF Freight bought out Carolina. Another great company. Yeah. Um, and so I was retained with ABF Freight. Spent about thirteen years with ABF, and I was all over the country with them. I was in Kansas City, I was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, Omaha for a short amount of time. And then my last stint with ABF Freight, I was running cross-border operations in El Paso, Texas, back when the whole NAFTA environment was taking place. Manufacture on the Mexican side and then bring it across the border ship on the U.S. side. Very nice, very nice. So when and why did you join the mighty Walmart? Well, you know, this is a tough tough thing to say. Every time you get promoted in the LTL industry, you go into a bigger and bigger market. And my next direction was, looks like I was going to go to Los Angeles. And my wife and I, both being small town Nebraska guys, Walmart <laughs> gave us the opportunity and they'd been after me for a couple of years and it was time to pull the trigger. And, and I've been with Walmart since uh, 2002. So just hit my 20 year mark just recently. And you moved to Arkansas at that point? Yep. Moved to Bentonville, Arkansas. When I came into Walmart, I started off as a regional manager had oversight over four or five buildings up on the East Coast on the mid-Atlantic part of the country. And then uh, Walmart did something fairly unique. Uh, we went from a commodity-based flow environment to a speed-based flow, and we called it Remix. And so what we did is took all the fast-moving items that sold in the stores and put them into our dry grocery buildings uh, so that those would move out quicker, get quicker replenishment into the stores. So I moved into a role as a regional grocery director. And at the time we were building three to four distribution centers every single year. And so part of my challenge back then was how to integrate the Walmart private fleet into our grocery facilities. And so I did that for a amount of time. And then I got pulled into the international piece and I got sent down to Central America or worked for Walmart uh, setting up a transportation network down in Central America. I was in uh, Nicaragua, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, Costa Rica. Damn, you're earning your money. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, no, I know you got see- the, with the name Estrada. Did you ever speak Spanish? So let me tell you, if you didn't speak Spanish down there, you weren't <laughs> communicating very well. But not being a natural Spanish speaker, it's one of those things. If you don't keep up with it, it doesn't stick around very long. <laughs> it's funny because um, there's a lot of people in the United States who have the the Spanish last name, Hispanic, whatever you want to call it, but they don't speak Spanish. So I, I have a, a number of friends named, my last name's Lynch. So I had my locker was next to Lopez, Lopez, Lopez. None of them speak Spanish. And one of them's got blonde hair and blue eyes and he doesn't. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so it's a funny thing. People go, people would speak Spanish to people because they assume you speak Spanish. And they're like, oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I don't know. My mom's from Sweden. Yeah, it's a Sorry. different time today. It very much is. Yeah. So, but, you, but when you got down to down to Latin America, you're like, hey, I got to learn this. Yeah. Otherwise, it was uh, we weren't going to speak to a whole lot of people. Now, what were you do? What were you doing down there? So Walmart bought a retailer called Carhold, Central America Retail Organization, and so Walmart bought this organization, and that was at the time where most of the growth that companies incurred was international growth. And so Walmart had moved into those countries. I think at the time, Walmart was probably in 19 separate countries around the world. And so the process was getting a transportation network set up in those countries. Uh, And then how do we integrate those? Because those countries are so close, they're like states here in the U.S., right? So how can you integrate? Because some of the distribution centers crossed over country lines. And how could we take advantage of of those synergies between those different uh, distribution centers down there? Versus what they currently had set up. I, I company I worked at, we had an opportunity to go down and set up the inbound uh, inbound shipment to a 
big automotive company down in Mexico. And it was a it was a massive project. We were not a huge 3PL, but <laughs> it never it never materialized. But I used to threaten all the guys in my office that you'll be down in Mexico managing that before you know it. <laughs> you know, I'll tell you, in Costa Rica, San Jose, Costa Rica, we have um, four distribution centers just in the heart of that city, San Jose, and about 25 stores. And the unique thing about San Jose, Costa Rica, there's no street signs or addresses on the buildings. <laughs> Is that a problem? And so how do you figure out how to do that? And so, you know, I'd go on delivery rides and it's, you're riding around and the driver says, well, we'll find it. It's, I know it's over here somewhere. And so there wasn't a lot of efficiency on that, those type of things. But you're in Costa Rica, man. Don't complain. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I wanted to talk to you about, I had, a, I had a whole list that I wanted to talk to you about. So one thing I want to talk to you about is kind of the scale of Walmart transportation. Just give us a sense of the size of it. Obviously, it's massive. I mean, and I think we can probably talk about this in terms of inbound and outbound. I mean, I don't know the best way to talk about it, but maybe you do. <laughs> yeah, I'll give you a couple of different examples. An average Walmart super center will receive on a daily basis between five and nine Walmart trucks every single day. And that will be split between general merchandise deliveries, dry grocery deliveries, perishable grocery deliveries, as well as during that same given week, probably 200 outside truck deliveries into a super center every so, single week. So those are, so you said five to nine per day. So let's just say that's 20 to 40 of your trucks, your private fleet. And mm -hmm. then would you say two, how many of the- Another 200 deliveries from like UPS or an LTL carrier that will go into that store Every single and are, week. And are those usually when you're delivering to a Walmart, is it usually an LTL carrier at that point? It varies. I mean, it depends on the supplier because a lot of the stuff that goes direct into the stores, the direct stores items can be anywhere from an LTL to UPS, FedEx. Uh, it could be prepaid, determine who the shipper is routing that in there. So it, it, it can vary. But a lot of a lot of what we do, we try to integrate in through the the Walmart private fleet through our di different distribution center networks. So I'm, I'm, I'm drawing on some of my experience shipping into retail locations. And I know you guys are, it's always ever changing. So I'll ask a question. So let's just say I'm um, selling pickles and I'm, I've finally got my, some business with Walmart and you, you I, this would be my, my understanding. Tell me where I'm off. You would okay. say, I don't need you to deliver directly to my location. I need you to deliver to this warehouse and I would deliver a full truckload of pickles, and then that company would take my pickles, LTL, group it with other stuff that was going to Walmart, and then ship to maybe 10 different Walmarts. So all those LTLs are going out that way. Is that the way retail distribution works? I mean, inbound? Um, not on the Walmart side scale, right? So typically, Walmart's going to buy everything in a truckload type status right and so it's going to ship direct to distribution centers and then those distribution centers will, will break up the deliveries so those are those directly are to the stores by, that's managed by walmart right right now i will tell you that a lot of the stores today some managers have a local discretion a local budget to buy local items right that can be supplied maybe at a very small handful for for that local store because they want to mm -hmm. support the local community but, you know, if you're a, a wanting to do, hey, I want to hit up all the Walmart distribution centers, and a lot of that is divided up regionally in regional parts of the country, unless you're just like a major provider like P&G, Kellogg right. is one of those type right. of guys where you're going to go globally across the, the entire network. So so those are going to your DC. So if I'm a, if I'm, my, I'm selling my pickles, I... Uh... I deliver to your DCs and you tell me which DCs to send to and what quantities to send. Could be, it could probably going to be the other way around. We're probably going to come to your manufacturing plant and have you route that by distribution center. And then we'll pick it up and take it to the distribution centers. Okay. Where so, you guys are, so you guys own all the, the transportation costs. So you, you never say, Joe, what is that going to cost me to ship? Well, I'll tell you, depending on, again, the size of merchant that you are, there are the prepaid merchants out there who make the decision. They think they have a, or may have a better feel for their costs and want to ship it prepaid. But I tell you, a bulk of what we're trying to do is move to the collect piece so that we can just manage 
that just-in-type inventory need inside our distribution center network. I put on my automotive hat for a moment here. I'm an automotive guy originally, and in automotive, you're always just very similar to Walmart, always grinding out the last quarter penny out of everything. I mean, money is, you're always taking money out. We never, one of the jokes is when you're in product development, all you do is go to cost savings meeting. How do I take money out, right? And over time, uh, that the cost of uh, moving stuff moved up. And then after a while, automotive kind of said, no, 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 you're not shipping it and making money on it. We'll go pick it up at your location. And if you had 300 suppliers shipping to your location, I don't want to log into 300 shipments. I want you to use my my technology so I can look at all my inbound. And then at that point, you're like, I'll tell you who to use. And I'm not, you're not going to let all my local suppliers negotiate a million dollar contract for each of them every year. I'm going to negotiate one $300 million and get the really good price. I'll tell you the tough thing for us is just that size and scale, right? The breadth and the size and the scale. You can't work with everybody. (laughs) No, and you can't. And, you know, we have roughly between our general merchandise DCs, which is about 45, 46 general merchandises and about 48, 49 grocery facilities. And so now we're just talking a super center. We're not even talking e-commerce. Each one of those distribution centers will receive probably 300 inbound shipments a day, you know, in those categories. And so, you know, when, you, when you're trying to, to, to manage and that, that and wait, process, that's, to, like, that's to the DC, not to the super center. That's correct. That's to the DC, not to the super centers. And so you, then you, you know, you add in some of the e-commerce things that take place because we're delivering all that to the stores too. Right. So I think, 90% of the U.S. population population lives within 10 miles of a Walmart store. And so those are almost That wasn't always the way, though. They started off as, yeah. and we were just talking about before we hit record, I read about Walmart and the Walton family and how successful Sam Walt was the wealthiest man on the planet. And you look <laughs> and go, oh, okay. Never, never seen one. But I heard about these wonder, this wonderful company. And by the way, back in the... I guess it's the 80s and 90s, when you'd see them at Forbes, uh, there was a whole bunch of people who worked at the stores who all had tons of stock and they did very well for themselves. Oh, and, yeah. But there was no Walmart by my house. It wasn't until I, I would say probably the early 2000s or late 90s that my in-laws moved to moved out of kind of downtown you know, suburban Milwaukee, moved out a little bit. And there was a Walmart by their house on the lake, small town. And because that's where they opened, right? You know, you that was their strategy. That. that was. And, you know, when I joined the company back in 2002, the company had just done over $100 billion at that time. It finally hit the $100 billion mark, right? And we were building 200 stores, 300 stores every single year until maybe four or five years ago when Walmart changed that strategy. So now, you know, we've kind of uh, saturated the country from a uh, proximity of a Walmart store. So now there's roughly close to 5,000 Walmart stores. You throw in the Sam's Clubs, uh, another, what, 1,500 Sam's Clubs around the country. And uh, you've, you've pretty got a good saturation around the oh, U.S. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm walking distance to a Walmart. <laughs> so, no. And right across the street from Meyer, Meyer, which is your local comp- competition up here. Yep, in, they're in Michigan. Uh, Michigan, yeah. yep. Six states, I think, well, um, Meyer is. But they're very similar to Walmart. So they grew, up at, they grew up here in Michigan, so we're kind of partial to them. But similar <laughs> stores. And it's funny. One time I asked uh, a cashier at Walmart, I said, who's got better prices, you or Meyer? Because they're right across the street. And they said, these same prices here because they have to compete. She goes, but Meyer, mm-hmm. she goes, I used to work at the other Meyer. She goes, their prices are higher. Because they didn't have Walmart across the street. I said, that makes sense. <laughs> but yeah, I think the unique thing about a Walmart, and, and I've heard this a number of times, and the part of the country that you're talking about, I have uh, oversight over, you know, Michigan, uh, Ohio, Indiana, those areas. And the price that you pay in a Walmart in Arkansas should be the, essentially the same price that you pay in a Walmart in Michigan or a Walmart you pay in Indiana. So it's, and though there may be some local fluctuations, but they manage it pretty tight from a merchandising standpoint. Oh yeah, you can't get a better price. But I, and, and it's funny now that uh, we got some other lower costs like Aldi coming in, and like Aldi, mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, they, these are models that didn't before Walmart. There was no, and I've I've said this before, and I'm not just saying this because you're on my podcast. There was an article years back, it was Wall Street or maybe Forbes, but it said 
no company on earth has ever done more for low-income people than Walmart because it, it lowered the price of groceries, lowered the price of goods. And they get tons of criticism all the time. People always want to hit the big dog. But uh, when you look at 10% of China's GDP, I don't know if it's still this, was, was Walmart. And what's happened in China over the last generation? 500 million people came out of the lowest level of poverty. And so you can look and go, that's 50 million people came out of poverty thanks to Walmart and their customers. It's nothing short of miraculous. I mean, people can preach all they want about it, but. You know, a lot of people see it as a tagline, but I I really think it's uh, the basis behind the company, save money, live better. Um, And that's what we try to do globally. And we think about it every day. You know, Sam used to talk about EDLC, everyday low cost, so you can provide everyday low price. And, you know, back when I started with the company, when we would travel, we were still pretty darn big company, right? But we had to take the cheapest flight. We had to stay in the cheapest hotels. We had to bunk up two to three guys in a hotel room back in those days because that's what it was to to save yeah. money. Yep. And by the way, I can say this. I've said it before on my podcast, but you guys will have to hear it again. I'm here in Michigan where we had Kmart and then there was Kresge and then it was like mm-hmm. Kmart. Kmart lived and died by these blue light specials where they would have oh, yeah. the blue light where they would kind of run through the store with and you could buy all sorts of stuff cheap. So you can buy beach balls today for 99 cents. And they would always have these circulars that they would send in the mail. Very expensive. So you would get these from Kmart saying 99 cent beach balls. Got to get into the store on Monday. Problem with that is it, it wreaks havoc on your inventory. And so I remember reading, this is even pre-internet. This is how long ago this is. Um, there was case studies about Walmart versus Kmart when it came to inventory management. Since Walmart said everyday low prices, they knew how many beach balls they sell every day of the year in every one of their stores. And after time, even pre-internet, <laughs> you could take an Excel spreadsheet and go, I know how many beach balls we're going to sell. So their inventory costs and their inventory management was better than Kmart. And, and by the way, they also didn't have to send out the circulars that were wildly expensive mm-hmm. or, or buy blue lights. <laughs> so no, that's a great description. That's exactly right. Anyway, I, I had somebody on my podcast and I'll put a link to this. I had a uh, professor, uh, Donnie Williams from over at uh, university of Arkansas. And he talked about, we talked about supply chain lessons from Northwest Arkansas, which is where you guys are at. My sister's lived overseas for, uh, she lived overseas for many years. And I remember she said, no matter where you go in the world, she goes, she was in China, Brazil, Mexico, South Africa. She goes, there's always Walmart expats living with you. (laughs) And they always say, I live in Northwest Arkansas. And she said, I don't even think there's a real Arkansas anymore. (laughs) It's Northwest (laughs) Arkansas. But anyway, Donnie Williams, when he was on my podcast, talked about how Walmart, and it was really from Sam Walton, was, you know, grew, grew up in the Dust Bowl and said, I want to have these low prices. It was not, it wasn't a strategy. It was a, a mission. It was a mission to help people who didn't have money put food on the table. And it's a mission that they've been able to keep all these years. And I think Donnie also mentioned this, I don't think it'd be proven, but he said Sam Walton almost had to move the company to Dallas at one time because so that's where the talent's at. It's a big city. You can't build a big company down in Bentonville, Arkansas, but they did. And as a result, they've got a whole culture of uh, all their suppliers co-locating down there and the culture of innovation and everybody staying on the same page and being aligned to that mission is still there. Anyway. I think that is a great description of, you know, how this community here locally has evolved. You know, when I moved in here to Bentonville, Arkansas, I think in 2001, 2002, we had roughly 18,000 people. And I think there's 55,000 in Bentonville, but, you know, Bentonville, Rogers, Fayetteville, they all kind of run together. So it's roughly of an area of about 500,000 people. Well, I understand you guys have built uh, the... Uh, great bike trails there and uh, great oh, yeah. nature areas. And now you got that world-class museum that the Waltons built um, for free. <laughs> yeah. It's not all bad. <laughs> it, it is a nice community. If you want to, if you're an art enthusiast, if you're big in the biking piece, but the other thing that Walmart did, you know, when all the suppliers moved in here, you talk about those collaborations that we have, you know, Clorox has a big 
uh, facility here. Kellogg's has a big facility. They brought in all those amenities that they needed to have from the East Coast, right, or the West Coast. And so you have <laughs> yeah, a Kellogg's lot of from Michigan. <laughs> well, you're right. Uh, but you get you have a lot of those amenities in this area, too. So it's a from a culture standpoint, it's a little bit uh, a little bit different than the rest of the state. It's a it's a funny thing, because I think um, I joke about it the, being a flyover state. I have a cousin. He's a year older than me. And I remember he got right out of college. He was a he's a doctor, medical doctor. He got recruited to go down to that area. And I remember we're like, where is he going? What do you mean he's going to Arkansas? They don't need doctors there, do they? Like, like who's going to move there? He's been there for, for a long time and loves it and done really well for himself. Anyway, let's switch gears. So we talked a little bit. Of, you gave us a little bit of a sense for scale. We talked about inbound, outbound. Let's talk a little about e-commerce. I know Amazon has always been the big dog when it came to e-commerce, but Walmart is, I, last time I looked, they were 20, 25% of Amazon size when it comes to e-commerce, which is a lot of e-commerce. Yeah. <laughs> and a very different model though, because if I buy something from walmart.com, I can return it to the Walmart store right by my house, right? And you guys can yeah. deliver it from the store right by my house. You know, what we talked about, you know, with people living so close to a Walmart uh, store nowadays, you know, back when e-commerce was first going through its evolution, right? If you ordered something online and you got it in five days, six days, seven days. And now, you know, like when my kids order, they only know same day delivery or, or next day delivery at the latest. And they're and not so allowed to buy that. on Amazon.com. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we, we, don't, we don't say that word at my house. But never uh, say the A word. Never say the A word at Doug's house. <laughs> But, you know, essentially each one of those Walmart super centers is a, you know, a fulfillment center right there in your right. local neighborhood. And as long as you can get that mix of what people want that you know they're going to want. And, of course, you know, there's a lot of things going on with e-commerce, right? The market, product availability, all those kind of things. But I, th I think we have a pretty good approach right now. But, but I think also, though, you guys are doing a lot of the fulfillment out of your stores. And stores weren't yes. set up for that fulfillment. And I keep thinking as your stores get updated or as you build new locations or whatever, they're going to become much more set up for fulfillment. I know you have that new go local. We talked about it before mm -hmm. we hit record, which is kind of the e-commerce fulfillment side, not only just for Walmart, but for other businesses too. It's, you know, it's just, and, and I think that's it too. Like what you're kind of describing, um, you know, how do you take advantage? How do you make it cost effective to deliver to people's houses? From a local facility and so you know being able to have other business capitalize off that as well making food deliveries or or other item other uh, merchants deliveries but you know a unique thing that we're piloting right now here in northwest arkansas we're getting drone deliveries uh, both from fixed wings and the you know the multi-propeller <laughs> drones today now what, what are you getting delivered with the drones uh so the drones so there's two types of deliveries taking place right now so the fixed wing I think is actually dropping small pharmaceutical items in, in people's yards via like a parachute. And then there's the traditional drone <laughs> that's actually dropping. And I think it's got a 10 pound max weight right now, but it's making a, a delivery into your backyard for you. I'm telling you, I, I'm, I, I love the drone technology and I think there's some applications, but I am not sold on it because of where I live. I've, I live in, but first off, you out here in the suburbs of detroit far maybe close to rural mm -hmm. um they're going to shoot those out of the sky <laughs> right? and then you move yeah. into the city you move into the city they're going to shoot those uh, out, of shoot the out of the sky yeah. and 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 also i'll just throw this out there how would you like to be go, go up for a walk with your wife and go isn't it beautiful and then there's like all the birds flying by and the trees and then all of a sudden like 75 drones going by i i feel like we're gonna have to figure that out and, and maybe we will and maybe i'm just being uh reactionary. I, I think there's real good applications for it, but I, I tell you, I don't want to be on a nature walk and see 20 dead drones laying around on the, on the side of the road. You know, before <laughs> COVID, I was in uh, Europe. I was actually in Sweden and it was on, uh, and it was for personal, it wasn't business related. And they were making food deliveries with drones Are there. You kidding me? And so to that point, you know, you, you, I think Europe may be a little bit ahead of us here. 
that's common. Well, they they have density there that we don't have. I mean, because you lived in Nebraska. You know darn well, if drones start flying through this cornfields in Nebraska, they are coming down, not even for the goods, just for the hell of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's well said. I shot shot myself two ducks and and four drones. (laughs) (laughs) And that's where you're going to have to be really selective about those markets, right? Yeah. By the way, there's certain applications I can think of like Northern Michigan, you know, it's like I, not every truck wants to go up there. It's, I mean, we have Northern Michigan has population, but it's not the density like we have down here in Southeastern Michigan. And it's probably the same way. um, I know there's parts of Arkansas that aren't Northwest Arkansas. By the way, somebody told me they like Southeast Arkansas better because it's the fishing and the hunting. And when you get to that, those rural areas, I think drones make a lot of sense for some goods. You know, I, I guess that would depend on how remote it is. But, you know, some of those small towns, you know, you're the lifeline into yes. those. So those daily truck deliveries going in there are really important. By the way, the speaking of which, and I know we weren't, didn't talk about doing this topic, but, um, yeah, those those rural areas, um, those were those were where Walmart opened up their first location, so they're kind of well suited for the e-commerce in, I mean, e-commerce fulfillment. Those were the lifeline. I can tell you this: yeah. I've been to towns where Walmart is the center of the universe, and I always just say, where my in-laws lived in Wisconsin, there was all this bitching initially, like, "Oh, Walmart's going to displace the downtown," but they supplemented the downtown. The Walmart downtown didn't have what Walmart brought to the party. And after a while, Walmart gave so much to the city that they're like, welcome <laughs> aboard. <laughs> Thank there you. you anyway, so um, I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about uh, community involvement, because I know that's kind of a thing that Walmart's doing more and more of. So what are you guys doing in the communities? So specifically with the private fleet, one of the things that, you know, our truck drivers have a strong passion for their communities. And that's really where I work with. Walmart in the community-based standpoint. So a couple of different things that we're doing. Uh, we just finished our CMN drive uh, where we challenge our drivers from a safety standpoint. However many safe miles that you can drive, we'll make a donation to CMN. Uh, we'll Wait, be giving a that? check. CMN? Uh, Children's Miracle Network, CMN. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry, the acronym. We're the king of acronyms at Walmart too, in case you didn't know that. <laughs> but we, we just are making our $380,000 donation to the Children's Miracle Network, all based on the backs of our Walmart private fleet drivers. The next thing that we're going to be doing is another safe driving event for the Victory Junction Camp in Randleman, North Carolina, where our drivers will have that same opportunity. And if you're not familiar with the Victory Junction Camp, I'm it not. is a camp that is was created by the Petty family to give disabled, physically, mentally challenged children a chance to go to a summer camp to experience it just like anybody else, like a normal kid would. And so it, it, it takes a lot of medical expense. It takes a lot of trained people. So it's another type of event that we're going to be uh, supporting for our communities. One thing that we're trying to work really, really hard on um, is our support for truckers against trafficking. You know, yeah, I'll put a link. I'll put a link to that because I know you have that on your LinkedIn profile. And so we're in, in many states now. You have to actually be trained in human trafficking to get your CDL. And so I know that's increasingly more for more and more for drivers. But it's probably once you start educating people, it's hard to believe how much exposure there is to human trafficking in the state. Now, is, right now. The, is the human trafficking you're talking about? Is that people who are like coming over the border and they're like think they're getting a a ride to a job and then they're more or less pushed in. You know, I, a lot of people, I think that's the first response that people give when they hear about human trafficking, but you'd be surprised in your local community and your local area, just how many people are being held against their own free will from a trafficking standpoint. And you'll find most of the exposure and most of the education is taking place like in a Michigan, a small town, Arkansas, uh, small town Missouri, and we want to make sure that we're training our drivers, and hopefully we can start moving this to training on the store side. Is just the exposure, the and little signs that, that show that. Yeah, I, I think about awareness because I, I've I know I read something, and it was these people were immigrants from somewhere else, and they had people from their home country basically enslaved in their house as as helpers, and they had come over thinking I got a job, and 
And they got caught after these people have been basically mistreated and enslaved for years. You know, I, I think what we work with, with Truckers Against Trafficking, I think 85% of those that we help train and identify is away from the border. It's with things that are taking okay. place in everyday small town USA or big yeah. town USA. Well, it's 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 funny when I think about it. You, you've you've enlightened me a little bit because I did my my sense of it when I think human trafficking, I think of the border. I think of people yeah. who are really at risk. They don't even they don't know they don't understand the culture, the language, anything. Somebody says, "Jump in, I'll I'll take you for a ride, do a job," and they end up in a bad, worse situation than they were. Yeah, you know, sadly, you know, us working in the in the trucking world, you know, our truck stops, rest areas are very prone for human trafficking. And a lot of that would take place from a prostitution standpoint. You know, most of those women, uh, some of them are underage or being held against their own free will. And so just that whole education identification is what we're trying to help out with the community yep. right now. Yep. And I want to throw one other thing in here, and I, I don't think you'll disagree with me, but when we talk about a community involvement so much. Yeah, again, Walmart being that one of those big companies, people love to hate big companies. They want to go shop there and then they want to hate on it. But I was just telling somebody this. Walmart always pays in their stores more than any other retailer in that same vicinity. And, and so whenever people go, well, they're paying over, they're not paying. I was like, well, you know, not every job is you don't start off. You don't start yeah. off as as a top job, but those are great jobs, <laughs> and and they pay more than the other locations that you can work in in retail. And I'm like, that's not the end of the world to go work there. Yeah, you know, surprisingly, a lot of our executive leadership and a lot of the people that work for this company have started in the stores. You know, work there is either in high school or college right. part time, and have found that hey, this is not what everybody says, or from a career standpoint. It's a great career opportunity for them. I saw um, Harvard Harvard MBAs were coming out and running Walmart stores. And why? Because I think it's like a $100 million business. <laughs> yeah. About every store, I mean, it's very few, few and far between where you don't see a store making between that 80 to $100 million a year. So normally a Walmart super center is going to be probably in some communities, the largest business in that area. Oh yeah. You know, and you have between 500 and a thousand people working for you. Well, I thought there's a lot going on. I think Walmart is the biggest employer in most States. It's either Walmart yeah. or the A word. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You're probably right. Yeah. Except here in Michigan, I think university of Michigan, which has a lot of hospital stuff and university. Anyway, um, we talked a little bit about community involvement. I wanted to talk to you about sustainability because I know uh, that you said that's a, a value you guys have. So talk a little bit about, about that. You know, we're trying to be, to, the company's going to zero waste. And I think the last timeline I saw was by 2035, the company's hoping to be zero waste. From a transportation standpoint, what do you mean by zero waste, meaning not throwing nothing out? How's that work? So <laughs> whether it's CO2 emissions or, you know, and that's one of the things that, uh, you know, Lee Scott, for a lot of those old timers before he left the company, you know, he started us down this sustainability road. You know, we used to have to pay people to remove a lot of the old cardboard, yep. remove a lot of the trash from our facilities, the oil from our trucks. And now we've kind of find that, you know, one, we can not only take that cardboard and recycle it and get paid for it, but make our uh, facilities 0% waste, right? And make them sustainable things. We saw the impact from reducing the packaging size. And, you know, one of the things I remember the most is, you remember during Thanksgiving, you had those Black Friday big truck sale events, right? And we used to bring in just truckloads of TVs. Well, now you went from the old tube TVs down to the flat screen TVs. You can put a heck of a lot more TVs in a, in a truck with that are flat screen than you could in the old tube days. Most of your laundry detergent, Walmart was kind of the, the company pushing behind getting all that extra extra water inside those laundry detergents and just reducing the size yeah, when of Walmart talks shipped out on their and, account. And, and all, when Walmart talks, they're going to do it because you're one of probably their biggest customer and they might be co-located down in Bentonville anyway. So you know where they live. <laughs> yeah. But the other big thing that we're really focused on is the zero emissions piece. And so, you know, we're testing the electric vehicles, you know, we're testing yard trucks, 
Uh, we're testing it on our refrigerated trailers. I think the toughest part we have with the over-the-road trucks, right, is just the size of the battery, how it can handle the loads, how much time it takes between recharges. And so that's an avenue that we're continuing to explode or explore. Uh, we're also using some hydrogen that we're trying to use in some yep. of our yard trucks today. And the natural gas is the other opportunity that we have from a truck usage. So trying to explore these alternative fuels is what we're kind of really going down. You know, when I was still at a 3PL, we one of my customers was a solar panel bracket company. And I remember we delivered a lot of solar panel brackets to Walmart locations all over. Are you guys still doing solar panels on the roof of a lot of your facilities? Yeah, you'll see a lot of the stores. Of course, we're not building a lot of stores nowadays, but, you know, right. I think... Uh, These were existing stores we were shipping to. They're bringing in... So a lot of those stores were really in the really sunny areas, right? And many of our distribution centers, like down in Texas, down in Arizona, have big solar farms that help support those uh, facilities. So it is something... I can't tell you if we've got a lot of growth left in the solar piece, but we I know we really exported where we could. We do. That, I got to thank you, Doug, because I delivered a ton of solar panel brackets. <laughs> <laughs> Not even the panels. We were just putting the brackets up there, but they were big. Yeah. Of course, that technology is changing a lot today, yes, too. And I know that's the update, other thing that we're. You have to update them all. Yeah. So, getting back to the zero emission vehicles, you know, one of the things I know we're talking about electric, but we can't use electric necessarily for over the road. You know, if I'm going from Atlanta to Chicago, I'm not going in an electric vehicle yet. So you have these vehicles that are lower emission? Well, so, you know, we're working with a lot of, effect, if not all of the manufacturers. I think everybody's out there is trying to yep. develop some type of class A, uh, class eight electric vehicle, right? And so there's a lot of that taking place right now too. But a lot of our focus is on some places where we don't have to have, you know, like I said, our yard trucks, the yard, the trucks that are moving trailers around on their distribution right, right. center yards. Right. And, and that's kind of where our focus is today. And that's what we're trying to take advantage. You probably saw at the store level last week or the week before, uh, from an e-commerce standpoint, Walmart went to a purchase agreement with Canoe, who makes the small delivery vehicles. And so from a last mile standpoint, we're, we're able to, to take advantage of that. But you're right. The challenge is going to be at the more the super center or the distribution center to super center store delivery for us or the OTR type traditional type movement to get to that zero emissions piece. Last year, maybe this year, a while back, I talked to the people from Remora and they Remora makes the, they recap, they capture the tailpipe emissions and then convert the carbon to a liquid that you can resell. So it basically pays for itself. So carbon capture, we'll call it. And I know Remora's here in Livonia and they're, they're moving right along, but I also saw Saudi Aramco which is the largest company in the world. Sorry, Walmart. I think they're <laughs> much, much bigger than Amazon or Walmart or any other company. And Saudi Aramco is the oil company. And mm -hmm. they had a full page ad in the Wall Street Journal. I wish I had saved it about their carbon capture. And I keep thinking the gas people, if you're oil and gas, they don't want to leave. And by the way, that's a very effective, very efficient fuel for us. If we can figure out how to capture the bad stuff coming out of the end of the tailpipe, I don't think we're done with that because um, wind, solar, electric, we aren't there yet and we're not close. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, you know, we're working with a lot of NGOs, a lot of different organizations on what we can do from a reducing the emission standpoint. But our big focus right now is on alternative fuels versus... Yeah, you can use compressed natural gas and it's much better for the environment. And by the way, I think it's cheaper per mile, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. Given today's prices. Yeah, and uh, not, not too, well, yeah, today's prices, you could run a lot. So I want to talk about one other thing while we got you. So working with Walmart. So people who listen to my podcast are a lot, are 3PLs or trucking companies or carriers or brokers. And um, so we'll just give out your phone number so they can call you direct. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, hey, let me tell you, I did a podcast about a, two months ago and somehow that leaked out. And let me tell you, I was inundated with phone calls. <laughs> well, you can, you just send me a nice Walmart gift card and I won't give your, 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 your phone okay, number Okay, deal, <laughs> deal. So how do, I mean, 
do you have one 3PL you work with or do you work with dozens or do you say, no, we don't work with 3PLs, we work with carriers? Do you work with brokers? I'm curious who you work with. And then I wanted to also talk about your private fleet. I know you're hiring, but first off, all of all the brokers and 3PLs and carriers out there, do you work with them? So let me say it this way. It's important for these companies to kind of understand, and, and we work with everybody, right? So we're typically everybody's largest customer either directly or indirectly right. somewhere along the way, right. right? But it's really important for them to do their kind of homework. So, you know, I'll get just like tons of of uh, solicitations for, hey, let us help manage your inventory or, hey, do you have visibility to your inbound loads right. coming into your building? And, you know, the thing that's hard to say is there's 300 people inside this building I'm working at that all they do is track. You guys are doing this for a minute. And so it's really important for them to do their homework. What is the niche that they can help Walmart on? Maybe it's um, understanding where our refrigerated lanes that are coming out of California that we need to get that product into the East Coast. And maybe they they can specialize in those type of things. And so a lot of that support is going to come from on the inbound side of the business on them being really good about understanding where their niche is. Either that or they just got to have a ton of assets, right? If they've got a ton of assets, like a J.B. Hunt or a Schneider. Right. I mean, well, J.B. Hunt's there, your neighbor were down there. So I imagine they're doing Yeah, they time. are. They probably do a load, lot of that. Or they do two or three loads a day, I bet. <laughs> One or two. I think they may get a couple <laughs> loads a day. But on the outside of the business, uh, on the outbound side, you know, you don't build a church for Easter Sunday, right? So a lot of the, the outbound that we do out of our distribution centers that we contract or do with our own private fleet, there's going to be that on top of that. And so being a, a, an asset-based carrier is going to probably help us more and more. But we do use some brokers. We do use some of those assets. You know, the last couple of years has shown that uh, beggars can't be choosers. you got to get trucks where you can get trucks. And so just coming with that piece of information right. is important. So obviously, just from a scale perspective, you don't want to work with small guys unless that's a real specific need. Do you, how do you, uh, once somebody's working with, I'm assuming they have to be vetted and I'm sure there's a process for that, but then once they're on board, how do you judge your shippers? Are you going, is that on time and in full? I think you guys invented that, right? OTIF? Yep. On time and in full OTIF. Yep. So, so um, that came out, I think, I don't know, a few years ago and all of a sudden everyone started saying, oh, I've done podcasts on OTIF. <laughs> well, you know what? I was I was in the room when we started saying, "Hey, we're going to come up with this new concept called OTIF on time and in full," and we hold our own Walmart private fleet to that same level of uh, on time percentage delivery. You know, some of the new things that we're talking about now is OBSL. That's the new acronym that you're going to start hearing. Wait, what is it? OBSL, outbound service level, and so. Initially, you're going to think it's service level, service okay. level, and you're going to think, "Hey, that's like from the thro- district." I want to throw around the Walmart acronyms. <laughs> so OBSL, essentially, what it is it's kind of replacing OTIF in some ways in regards to now we're really taking a look at it from the merchant and the stores. So when the store has ordered a product, from the time it leaves the the manufacturer to whether it, when it hits the shipper into our network, how do we get it to the store in time? And so what's that on-time delivery percentage? So, you know, a lot of things that we talk about from an e-commerce standpoint, the mix into our general merchandise, brick and mortar type stores. I know you had a a discussion with the University of Arkansas a couple of weeks ago, but a lot of the things that we're creating and developing today, there's not a case study out there because we're building these kind of supply chains from the ground up. Right. And so you can't follow, there's no one to follow if you're, Walmart. So we're and so those are the things that, you, that we're we're working on. And so whether it's from an intermodal standpoint or using a broker, I think what you're going to start finding is you know supply chain. There's a lot of capacity constraints that are out there today, and I think you have to be more open to using a lot more of the capacity that's available to you. Yep. So getting back to OTIP for just a second, what what on time and in full. Did you expect into, is that into your distribution or is that into your service center or is it both? Yeah, it's into the distribution I'm, I'm center. Okay. So it's into the distribution center. What would you expect somebody to be a carrier at? Well, I think the minimum requirement today is 95%, right? Controllable. Yep. And so, so when you mean controllable, meaning if there's snow, 
it might be different. Yeah, yeah. you know, and really that's going to be a, the only thing, right? And, and, and again, it's got to be, you know, there's snow and the roads are open. You know, obviously you don't want to put anybody in, in a safety concern, but, you know, that would be the only exception is when you have some of those weather hangups type things. Right. And again, I think one of the things that used to drive me crazy, and again, automotive is, I always call it the biggest, baddest supply chain on earth. I think Walmart could argue with me that they're the biggest, baddest supply chain. But one of the things that used to drive me crazy on inbound is when somebody, you know, was asked to send 800 parts and they send 750. And then, and then it's almost like that's set aside, you know, like this is a defect. And now I'm waiting for the other 50. But what used to, uh, as the 3PL, I used to say to the, um, my customers, they ship twice. Don't pay for that last load. <laughs> that, that, that has to be charged back. That's not, yeah. and, and, and I kind of felt like after a while, like if it happened every once in a while, but some companies would just say, oh, we were hundred, you know, we still sent most of it. Well, yeah, now I got all this stuff sitting around the warehouse waiting for ketchup. I remember my old EBF days when we used to support the automotive companies. You know, we yeah. used to go over car seats into Detroit. So, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. They're very forgiving, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, those were tough conversations back in those days. So, now when you talk about this outbound So, would you say would you say outbound, outbound service, service level. level? That is into your into your into the PCs? store. Or into, so this into is into the store. the store. So now what does that have to be at? So I think we're still working on what that final number should look like. But I can what tell you anything from a from a Walmart perspective, if it's less than 99.9%, it's probably going to get a lot of eyes on it. But obviously, it's, it's probably not going to be that aggressive. Uh, and I say it jokingly, 99.9%, but I'm not joking. But it's a very predictable route from the, your DC to your store yeah i mean in today's world i mean everything's pretty set you're not going to see a whole lot of brand new lanes or unknown lanes i mean the product that we buy is pretty predictable the ship locations are pretty predictable the replenishment days are pretty predictable all those things are in line right so it just needs to make sure the capacity is matching up from the time it's ordered to it needs to be shipped Excellent. So again, getting back to the brokers, carriers, 3PLs, you do talk to them. I'm certain. So you're always looking, I'm sure for a, a great partner, but yeah. it, it, scale matters. You're not interested in just a local broker who says, I, I, I can do a good job for you. You're interested you know, in big relationships. I work, I work primarily on the outbound side, right? But you know, there is that mix and, and the crossover with having to deal with a lot of the, the suppliers, the brokers and you know, I think the biggest thing that you see, and, and again, I worked on that other side too, right? I worked on the carrier side. Yeah, you so, did. <laughs> you know, I don't want to say that carriers have the tendency to oversell what they can do, right? Or say, I have this many trucks and I can take it. And I think one of the things that really surprises the carriers when you when you bid something out, a lot of them say, oh, you know, I bid this. I only got 50% of what they said I was going to get. Typically, when it comes to Walmart, when we bid it out, you're probably going to get hundred percent of what we bid out plus 10, 15, 20% more given the time of year. And then that's where our carriers, brokers, suppliers struggle is the size and scale of Walmart because the volume is just so high. It was beyond what they thought it was going to be. But I think, I think there's such a cool opportunity. I mean, such a cool opportunity if you can do a good job and you say, I'm making a decent, decent rate on this. And it's for all intents and purposes for a small business, unlimited lanes. <laughs> Yeah, I, I would. I think that's the best way to say it. It's unlimited. And let me tell you, the last thing, if, if you can get a, a provider, supplier, carrier who can be consistent and deliver what they said they're going to deliver, and I don't have to manage that piece of the business, then, I mean, they're, they're good to go. They're good to go. <laughs> yeah, that's excellent. So one last thing we want to talk about, hiring. I know you are hiring for your private fleet. First off, how many cars in your or trucks in your private fleet right now we are going to hit by the end of this year uh, about twelve thousand tractors so and how trailers we're going to be trailers so you have to forgive me because that number changes a lot it's between <laughs> sixty-five thousand and eighty thousand oh, trailers right. <laughs> and it, yeah. it changes a i don't lot, think right? people realize you guys have that many 
assets. I mean, I know you can yeah. afford them, but it's, it's a lot. But, you know, and I'll tell you, if, we talked about If you were a, a trucking company, would you be one? You'd be one of the largest trucking companies. You know, so when I started with the Walmart private fleet, we had roughly 2,900 drivers. We're going to hit 13,000 by the end of this year. I can tell you in my region alone, I'll come close to 2,100 Walmart private fleet drivers just in my region, which is bigger than a lot of trucking companies out there today. And I can tell you, we have we have a goal to add another three thousand drivers in the next five years. So, speaking of which, if a driver wants to come over to Walmart, what's the advantage for them? What's 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 the what's the pitch here? They got lots of options these days. Yeah, and I and they do right. And I'll tell you the the biggest pitch piece I can tell you is it's a career. And a lot of our drivers when they come in, uh, you know, we hire a lot of drivers who from a work experience standpoint, have a lot more experience than the brand new guys, right? And so they come in and say, I wish we had come here years ago because it is a career. It gives a driver an opportunity to, one, go home weekly and sometimes go home every every night, depending on the type of schedule that they draw. So we don't have the traditional out two to three weeks times of type drivers. But we're also diving into what kind of driver do you want to be? You know, we're looking at schedules that allow drivers to go home daily. We're looking at team drivers. We're looking at all sorts of things just from a... Um, well, yeah, I'm just curious. Are there some drivers who are saying, hey, I can go and deliver to homes every day and then be at my home every night? Are there drivers who are over-the-road guys who are saying, hey, that's not a bad deal doing e- e-commerce deliveries? You know, we haven't got to that part with the private fleet. Now, there is a leg or a segment of... Our company that is handling that, That's but I can tell you local that guys. Uh, I would say in the near future, you could probably see a cross pollinization of our over the road with those local type drivers. So, so one of the things I, I keep thinking about is, and again, I'm I'm a t- the tail end of the baby boom, so I, I think it this way. <laughs> we have a lot of drivers who are getting older and they're retiring, and I, I always think that um, you're going to find some drivers who say, "Hey, I want to drive six months a year. I want to drive ten months a year." Or I want to work five days a week or four days a week or three days a week. And I keep thinking, we're going to have to find ways to accommodate some of these fellas and gals. Well, we've done that. We've done that a little bit, right? So we have some driver schedules where guys work five on, five off, six on, six off. Yeah. So we're being very creative with your with the schedules. And I know that's kind of what I've talked about the most, but you probably heard three months ago, we made the big pay change. And so a driver, entry-level driver, can earn up to $110,000 in his first year. And that's that's just a traditional driver. Yeah. And I tell you, we have a lot of drivers who make a lot more than that. So what would be the high end, in a sense, for that? You You know, I might get myself in trouble. (laughs) Yeah, that's fine. But I tell you, you, there's some guys making some pretty good dollars out there today. Doug, if you see a number and it's like 10 grand too high <laughs> and then everyone comes in and asks for a raise next week <laughs> and, uh, and there's a rumor you, it, it, a rumor says they're big, big raises <laughs> and again what, what i was talking about 110 is an entry level driver right so there's wage progressions for drivers there's drivers that have different uh, driving types one of the things that's i think is important for drivers who want to come to walmart to understand because drivers talk miles, right? They talk miles. I want miles. I want miles. I want miles. But we have an activity-based pay as well. So we pay both miles and activity because we know in some cases we're doing, like especially of our grocery facilities, a lot of multi-stock deliveries. Right. And this is where those guys are really making their monies off their activity-based pay. They may only run 200, 300 miles a day, but they're getting a lot of that activity pay. And that's going to be a good given that opportunity. People. Yeah, very much yeah. so. And uh, so what are you looking for in those drivers? So we're looking for drivers with a clean driver record within the last 10 years. We're looking for guys that have driving experience, class A driving experience with 30 months in the last four years. And really then it's, that's what we're looking for. Okay. So if you could just give me a link to where they should apply and I will uh, put that in the show notes. Yep www.driveforwalmart.com. All right. I'll put that in the show notes, but please send me a link to it. So we make sure we get it in there. But, okay. Um, can do. It's, it's, um, it's really been a pleasure. It's interesting because so much, I think with Walmart being so big, you know, you hear people say things like, and they're almost like rumors or wives tales. I'm a big, I'm a big fan of Walmart and it's nice to get somebody on here talking about 
what you guys are doing. And one of the things that we talked a lot about Target, Walmart, Amazon on my podcast. And again, I feel like all of those have almost like uh, mythology grows around them. Some true, some not. But um, I do love Walmart. And I, I've, I've said this a few times on my podcast lately. I love that Walmart's starting to open up medical centers and their stores, which I think is a huge need. And I don't think they take insurance. Just go in there. You need uh, you need penicillin or what equivalent. And they get you there for 30, 40 bucks and you're out the door. And I was thinking, yeah, they just keep figuring out ways to add value. And uh, it's just a great company. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk about them. Well, thank you. I really appreciate being here and having the opportunity to talk about it. Thank you. All right. So what I'll do, Doug, is I'll put a link to your LinkedIn profile, not your phone number, just your LinkedIn profile. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I'll put a link to anything you give me, including the drive for Walmart. What is it? Driveforwalmart.com and uh, any other links you give me. But oh, you wanted to give me the thing on the trafficking, too. Anyway, thank you so much to Doug Estrada from Walmart. And thank all of you for listening. My podcast, your support is very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.